Hello and welcome to another new episode of Science and Magic, the films of Studio Ghibli. I am Neil and I am here with my good friends Jamie and Ruben and our wonderful guest for this episode, Doris. Uh, Doris, hello, how are you? Hello. I'm going to ask you a very critical question. Each of you get the same question uh, this week. A very prominent fruit in this in this movie is the pineapple. <laughs> pineapple on pizza <laughs> for yes. you guys. Is it an o- okay if I must, or is it a hell no? That's the devil's work. Yes, it is a yes. It's a yes, Dorothy. But, yes, damn it. But it has oh. to be fresh. It doesn't. It not out of ah, can. Not the tin. Well, so oh, wow. you just the tin the, well. All right, that's contrary to the movie preference, uh, Ruben. I'm a, I'm a definite yes. I love that sweet and salty. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Come on, Jamie. Help I'm me out sorry. Here. I really love pineapple. What? <laughs> this oh, is I, I'm, I'm out. I, I'm, I'm sorry, done. Neil. I'm done. I can't be the only one. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I feel ganged up on here. You guys all did this on purpose. I haven't wanted to tell you for a long time. so You've kept this from me, Jamie. <laughs> I have. <laughs> <laughs> you knew this would affect our friendship. Oh, boy. I even oh, bought God. a special type of spice that you can put specifically on pineapple. So. What? Yep. It's oh, gonna, Jamie, you, you got to send me what spice this is. I need to know what this is. I will. What the hell? Pico Amazing. fruta. Everyone should try it. You mm-hmm. just put it on the pineapple? You do, you do you grill it or something? or? I just put it on fresh pineapple. And then sometimes oh. I'll have chocolate chips with it. Is this like the what? kind of stuff you eat when it's like almost like a... Like it's pineapple on a stick, and then it's coated in this uh, this yeah. spice, like you get it in like Mexico yes. and other Latin America. Exactly. You guys yes. are killing me. I love that <laughs> stuff. It's so incredibly good. Oh, I wish I could eat that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I I'm really glad I'm not. I can only do um, cooked pineapple though. I'm allergic to fresh. Uh, oh really? Oh. Mm-hmm. That's oh. good. You can so hence, get cooked. Hence on the pizza. Okay, that's hence starting to pizza, make sense. Yeah. Uh, Doris, I'm gonna let you off then on this one. Uh, Given your allergy, the other you, you other two, you're out of here. You're banned. No, I'm joking. Uh, pineapple will come up, I'm sure, no doubt, uh, on many occasions, because we are talking. Um, well, not many. It only comes in once, doesn't it? We are talking about um, the uh, the the 1991 movie. Only yesterday, um, this is episode uh, number six. This is our sixth movie. Uh, in the Studio Ghibli uh, oeuvre. Um, and before we get into I think, Jamie, you've got the plot summary on this one. Is that right? Yeah, I can do that. But, Neil, I really thought mm. you were going to ask me or ask us who understands fractions. <laughs> <laughs> fractions? What are you talking about? I don't understand. Yeah. I have so many <laughs> flashbacks <laughs> in my school days watching this film. Yes, oh me too. Inversion, oh my god, huh? math. <laughs> I uh, actually quite enjoyed math in, in high school. I thought it was great. It's one of my mm, favorite subjects. Not not since third grade. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we do the plot, Jamie, uh, sure. I'll just do a, a, a very brief history. There's not much to really talk about in this one. Um, no. But this is our this is our second movie uh written and directed by Isao Takahata. Um the first, obviously, the wonderful Grave of the Fireflies. Uh, I'm sure you guys remember that one. Um, have you, Doris, have you seen uh, Grave of the Fireflies? Or have you seen any of the other Studio Ghibli movies? Not consciously. Grave of the Fireflies mm. I actually own. 
wow. not knowing it was a, a Studio Ghibli movie. I right. kind of by accident caught it on television and I found it so heart-wrenching. I bought Indeed. it to actually sh show to my students. Right. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a tough one. It's what, a tough one, but... What age uh, of students do you teach, Doris? Uh, hmm. Depends. Youngest are like 15, oldest are 20. Oh, okay. All right. That, if you were showing it to like seven-year-olds, I would have <laughs> no, been sadder. No. And uh, when I bought that, I was teaching um, younger ones, like so 14, 15-year-olds. Okay. I think it's appropriate that to that age. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, the the Japanese name uh, for this movie is uh, Omuide Poro Poro. Um, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, so apologies. Um, which translates as "Memories Come Tumbling Down." Hmm. Uh, which is interesting. I think I prefer only yesterday. I, I typically do seem to al always prefer um, the alter, the actual name of, that they came up with, rather than the direct translation. Mm -hmm. Um, it's based on uh, on a manga of the same name that came out in 1982. Um, it, this, this movie was a huge success. I mean, it, which is interesting given the subject matter, which was a bit controversial as a choice. Um, you know, having I mean, Grave of the Fireflies aside, the rest so far have all been kind of fantastical, otherworldly type, um, uh, somewhat whimsical uh movies so this this obviously is very much real world so controversial subject matter for this type of movie but then it just became a huge success with um with with adult uh cinema going audiences um and especially women uh, in 1991 so that's great um and then lastly is it was the first one um produced by uh toshio uh, suzuki who would go on to produce pretty much all of them here that from here on in so um, is the Toshio was uh, a coincidence now? Uh, I guess, I guess so. Yeah. Oh I, yeah. That, that, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's because uh, he came in to Studio Ghibli um, shortly, uh, properly shortly before um, this movie was made. He we've mentioned Animage magazine before on the show, uh, which is owned by uh, Ghibli parent company Takuma Shoten. Uh, and Suzuki was the editor of that magazine, um, and it was through him that the the magazine and the magazine that prom that promoted and assisted the early works of Miyazaki and Takahata, uh, and then um, and then he proved instrumental in the kind of uh, foundation of the studio with those two master animators. Um, and during the production of the first five Studio Ghibli movies, so all of the ones prior to this one. He worked for Takuma Shoten on um, Animage as his day job, but was on the production committees for um, for all of them except Nausicaa. So, so for Lapida, Grave of the Fireflies, and Totoro. Um, and then he was associate producer, so what kind of proper named credit on Kiki's delivery service. Um, and then, and then he left the magazine and uh, Takuma Shoten's employee and joined Studio Ghibli. Um, as a full-time, as a director, not a, not a film director, director of the company, uh, director of the studio. So, uh, and then and then as producer on almost all of its movies from here on in, as, as I said. Now, Ruben, um, what sort of things is he going to be responsible for as a producer on a movie like this? So um, as a producer um, in general, I'm, 
Neil is asking me this because I am a producer for uh, various kind of film things, ranging from commercials to documentaries to kind of like short films and stuff like that. But in general, a producer is in charge of kind of making sure the entire process works and flows. You know, everything from making sure the budgets are aligned to kind of like getting all the correct talent, getting all the right equipment, making sure everyone's on time, making sure there's a shoot schedule. Basically, they're kind of the executive uh, behind making sure the the project gets finished, gets finished on time and gets finished at or under budget to the liking of, you know, whoever it is that requested the film. So they are basically kind of running the show, as it were. They're in charge. Um, opposed to a lot of people think the director is in charge. The director is not really in charge. They're kind of like the artistic voice behind the movie. The producer is the one that actually makes sure the video, the film, whatever it is, actually gets done. Hmm. Nice actually produces the thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they're ultimately yeah, responsible for the for the movie getting produced are they yes. also the ones that pull the plug if needs be yes i have done this before i had to pull the plug on a shoot uh, they have to basically decide yes like is this working no this isn't working okay we're done here right or just fire the director and yep to change the creative team mm-hmm. yep hmm. Interesting. And reshoot everything. So basically start from <laughs> scratch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. That's uh, that that's um so that's Suzuki and he's he, I mean he he's in the background on these and obviously the names that we hear about are obviously Miyazaki and Takahara and then as we'll get to 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 learn over in a few weeks time, um a few episodes time, they start to um to delegate direct uh, duties on some projects, not all of them. Um, but uh, but Suzuki stays on as producer on, as I say, pretty much all of them. But he's not really the kind of name that people associate. So I think it's important to to just talk about him a little bit, like we did. So because he is, you know, of the, those are the three founders of of Ghibli, and he was, you know, is, is key to anyone. I, I think all three of them have acknowledged that without any single one of them, it wouldn't have happened. Um, so even though he's not kind of writing and directing, he's he's as important as the others. In, in getting the studio going. Uh, Jamie, what's this movie all about? So the, uh, the plot of this movie is focused around the life of a 27-year-old woman named uh, Taiko, who has spent her whole life in Tokyo, aside from a few summers out at the countryside with some relatives of her family. And so it opens with her deciding to take another trip to visit that family out in the countryside as her uh, holiday from city life. And she is going to go help them with some farm work, specifically with the harvest of safflowers, which are used to make rouge and um, dye for clothing. Yep. Wow, that is much sorry, more succinct sorry, than my usual. That was very succinct. <laughs> I thought you were done. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. There was a noise in the background, so I was just pausing for a sec. If you guys could maybe cut the uh, the pause there. <laughs> no, I think we should leave this in at least uh, for a cold open. Completely. That's the end. Open. That's the end of the story. <laughs> no spoilers in that one. Um. <laughs> so then she's traveling out to the countryside um, on a sleeper train and she starts remembering all of her like childhood memories and uh, being like a 10 or 11 year old girl, or I guess a little bit older, maybe like 12 or 13. 
And the story just goes on like that. Like it's flipping back and forth between her working at the farm as a 27 year old and her memories of being that kind of like on the cusp of puberty age. So like first love, um, finding out about puberty and her period and boys being jerks about it. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, boys, boys being jerks is a big theme of her, uh, her tween age years. Also, like, kind of the the tensions in her family, how, like, strictly patriarchal her family is. Um, and eventually, there's another character who I didn't even mention, which is Toshio, who is uh, a very distant family member. Don't worry. Very distant family member. <laughs> distant enough. <laughs> <laughs> he's not directly related to her, though. Yes, he's her brother-in-law's the second cousin. Brother-in-law side. Yes. Yeah. Um who comes to pick her up at the train station when she first gets out to the countryside as a 27 year old. And so, yeah, the story flips back and forth between her and Toshio and a few other people at the farm spending time together and her memories of growing up. And eventually at the very end, uh, Toshio's family has a conversation with her without him present where they say she should marry him (laughs) and stay at the farm forever it's obviously an awkward conversation. Very awkward. Very awkward conversation. <laughs> and she leaves and goes out into the rain, and she's thinking about uh, a moment in her childhood of shame and unhappiness and runs into Toshio, who takes her for a little drive, and the conversation they have is comforting to her. So then at the very end of the movie, she is getting on the train to go back to Tokyo, saying goodbye to everyone. And in a really... I really like this scene. All of her like childhood friends as they were as child children and her childhood self are with her on the train and they inspire her to turn around and go back and call up Toshio. And that is the end of the movie. And I must say it, it that last scene happened in the credits. Like it yes, was it during mm-hmm. the credits. If you just walked out of the movie before the credit, or like right as the credits started to roll, you missed a lot. <laughs> and it also kind of uh, crosses over from reality and dreaming mm-hmm. and just remembering memories becoming real. Mm-hmm. It's that moment of magic. Yeah. It, it's, it's actually that is my favorite moment of the movie. When, um, when you see her on the bus and then you see all the kids... Mm-hmm. including herself uh, on the bus too and how they kind of get her back to the village. Yeah. yeah. That how they really sit on the on just... the road and actually block the road and, and keep yeah. the bus from leaving. <laughs> it's, it's magical, isn't it? I love it. I love it so much. There are a lot of kind of themes uh, or kind of sub-themes or sub-stories. It's basically a collection of kind of sub-stories, isn't it? And through, uh, through her memories... What what I think is an immediate kind of um, thing to notice is that the flashbacks are different, a slightly different animation style than the kind of present day. I absolutely parts. loved those the the kind mm-hmm. of like semi done kind of half sketched uh, portions of it. I thought they were fantastic. Yeah. It was a great kind yeah. of indicator that we were in kind of like a flashback. Also, a, a totally different color palette, yeah. a lot less rich. That's right. Yeah, it's it, it, and it, I guess it's kind of like you know, well, your memory is a bit hazy sometimes, isn't it? And it's not as bright and sharp as 
it's present day, obviously, and that's that that's kind of what they're what they're using. I mean, you know, using vignettes or kind of blurring for flashbacks is nothing new. But I think the pace of them here, especially from the start, I mean, right from the start of this movie, it's it's only a minute or two before you get the first the first one. Uh, and they kind of come quite thick and fast. They actually slow down a bit as you get into the movie. Um, but the way that they're interwoven um, with the analogous events in the present, I think, really stands out. Um, and what's interesting for me the most about that is the manga that this is based on is all of the flashbacks. It was Takahara who wrote the present day story arch. Um, and it was his genius, I think, in weaving them together. I think that's just incredible how he did that. I agree. Now, I guess, I guess one of the kind of key um, things that are kind of themes that come out of this is, is the pressure on a young woman to marry. Uh, and that's kind of runs through the whole, uh, the whole, the whole movie, culminating at the end by that awkward conversation. Um, <laughs> and that's, I guess, is in my, I, d I don't, obviously don't have experience of this, um, but in my observation of living in Asia, this is much more of an issue or much, something that's much more prominent in Asia than the West. Would I be right or wrong if I say that? I think you would be right. Yeah. The, pr the pressure is still there for Western women, I guess. Mm. At least it, it depends on, on your social circles um, or your family. But mm. uh, yeah, in Japan still, still the pressure must be incredibly high to get married at a certain, at least before 30. I was reading um, uh, a... Uh murakami book the other night and they talked about i think it was his first one um and he talked about how you know you have a a certain order that you're supposed to do things in you uh graduate you get a job you get married and this is how he did it and he was just talking about how he did it the opposite way he got married first then he like you know um got a job and then he graduated from college so there seems to be like a very strict kind of this is how, you know, it works. And you get a, that corporate job and you stay in that same corporate job for a long time. Yeah, I think this, it's similar in, in China and, and most likely elsewhere in Asia as well. Uh, I'm sure kind of Korea is no different for young ladies. Um, Though it's, it's all... It, sorry, go ahead, Neil. Well, I was going uh, to kind of say, well, what's interesting then from what you said, Doris, is that the pressures are still... Are still there in the West, mm. but they're not as overt. They're not. Or they're not as direct, perhaps. They're more subtle, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that and that's quite interesting. In in what way then is is that pressure felt? If it's not kind of overt, does it um, does it not cause as much strain or, and stress, or is it equally as as potent? It's just not as visible. I don't know if it is as visible. It, I think it really depends um, what your family thinks about that topic. If your family is a lot more open-minded or if they're more traditional. I mean, you certainly get the uh, remarks as, well, you're not getting any younger. What about family? And mm. don't you want children? I mean, they give up at a certain point. 
Right. Yeah. Once you pass your forties, they don't ask you anymore. <laughs> Personal <laughs> right. experience. <laughs> right. But um, it's a long way to go to get to that point. Where yeah, they finally it is, it's not like go and find a guy and get married. It's more like you're not getting any younger. Don't you want kids? Which of course right. also implies that you need to find a partner and get married. Right. And then, you know, when you, we can skip to the end because we don't do kind of, we don't really do, we can jump around as much as we want. Going, Getting then to that conversation, um, which, which you know, the, 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 the grandma that she's staying with has with her and basically just comes right out as sometimes, you know, grandmas, grandmas <laughs> purposefully, tactlessly do. Um, just says, hey, why don't you stay and just marry Toshio? It's like no one's even spoke to Toshio. This is purely from her own observations. And hey, she's probably not wrong um, that Toshio actually likes her and is interested. Yeah, but this but is all I'm, done without anyone talking to anyone about it. They've, they've only known each other for 10 days <laughs> 10 and days. they even haven't <laughs> talked about romance. Yeah. I can say from experience that my parents have tried to marry me off in Romania several times, like, you know, a couple of days after, you know, meeting somebody. So, you know, or even without meeting them, you know, just set things in into motion and then shoved me off with this girl. And it's like, what, 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 who, what's, what, what is the intention here? Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's also, uh, you know, the movie is based on a manga from 1982 and the movie was made in like 1990. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there are definitely some like older, um, you know, older themes there. Yeah. yeah. Let's not so. forget that this is 40 years old. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, also, you so. know, I mean, the area I grew up in has a lot of Mormons and uh, I definitely know Mormons who are trying to get married when they're 21 and their parents are like, you need to go to a special place to meet people because you're not married yet. So it still happens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're not supposed to date before you get married. <laughs> right. You just get introduced to the church and that's that. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one of the, um, I guess, more standout themes here is puberty um, and, um, and and menstruation. And um, it's interesting because, you know, D- Disney have this deal or had this deal with, with Studio Ghibli to... Um, to release their movies out over here in the West. And uh, it was a kind of 15-year deal I had. And this was, I think, the only one, or there was possibly another one, but I think this was the only one that that they didn't do on uh, for home video, so either it's a DVD or Blu-ray, um, because of the, of the uh, mentions of menstruation and the <sighs> scenes around that. What? If you could only see my eye roll. Oh my God. (laughs) It's too much for people at home. I mean, come on. Sorry, Jamie, um, but I just have to kind of. Merrick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Disney. Well, Disney, isn't it? I mean, it's just. Yeah, it is Disney. Disney is the I was kind of astonished about the open discussion around menstruation um, because I thought this is also a topic that is kind of. shamefully hidden away mm-hmm. in Asia. And I was surprised, positively surprised, how openly mm. they discussed it. Mm-hmm. I was too based on the age of the movie. Yeah. I, yeah. I was I was pleasantly surprised. Also, um, you know, the American 
dub or the English dub. I'm not sure where it was made. Um, has Daisy... Only one Disney dub. Let's see. This that's the 2016. Oh well, whichever one has Daisy Ridley. That's the only one. Yeah. Okay. He, he only did that one. Yeah. Okay. That's the, so again, going back to when Disney, when Disney had that deal, they decided not to do this one. Gotcha. Um, so they didn't bother doing a dub until that one. I thought like someone else did the dub. I didn't realize that Disney went back and did it later. Normally that's the case. Yeah. Um, but in this one, no one had done one. Gotcha. Well, so anyway, the, Daisy the, Ridley is like a big advocate for like um, education about women's bodies and stuff like that mm. because she right. suffers from endometriosis. So I thought it was cool that she was doing that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I couldn't listen to the English dub. That was not available to me. <laughs> oh. So I only had the German oh, I thought dub. You meant in that, I thought you meant in the other way. <laughs> like, I was going to say the same thing, Doris, but it no. meant in um, slightly different in, way. In Germany, you can only get the Japanese original with German subtitles oh. or the German dub. So oh, not okay. even English subtitles. Um, wow. So I think the German dub is actually from 91. So mm. Okay. Okay, so do, which one did you watch, Doris, or did you give both a? I a, gave a both a try. Time? I watched it in in right. uh, the German dub first, and then I rewatched it in Chang's Japanese original with subtitles. And how? Which one did you prefer? <sighs> Ease of watching the dubbed version. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it, it for sure for that. I mean, and and what's interesting about this one is, I, I mean, go, going back to the the kind of opening scene or scenes a few minutes of, of her life in Tokyo right and having spent um, a fair bit of time in Tokyo myself um, I really loved these parts just just seeing daily life in Tokyo uh, mm-hmm. on you know animated on screen her walking through the department store the shopping center and or being in the office and seeing the street scenes and so the I was fa- I found yeah <laughs> everything i just love it and they, i found myself kind of pausing because i what i wanted to kind of look at everything on the screen and of course i'm reading a subtitle and it goes quite quickly so i kind of i was missing things i was kind of rewinding oh because i want to see what the shop's got mm-hmm. in in the window and stuff and mm-hmm. so i it took me a while to get through that first um that first 20 minutes or so of the movie just because i was pausing and enjoying it so much Apparently, yeah. in German, the title is Tears of Memory. Is that true? Yes. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. It's only yesterday dash Tränen der Erinnerung, which is Tears of Memory. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Wow. Nice. Well, the um, so, I mean, speaking of uh, Japanese, uh, of, of Tokyo life, um, back to the pineapple. <laughs> um, you know, one of her memories is uh, is... Uh, is is the bringing home of this luxurious fruit for the time, the Which pineapple. Which was so green. Yeah. It's very green. They you really could, need to could, give it some time. You could feel the unripeness of that fruit. <laughs> it's so sad, isn't it? Because that is their big experience of this exotic fruit. And it must have cost the dad, uh, you know, a pretty penny. Um, you know, the, he bought it from um, from a store called Senbikia, which is a very famous and very expensive specialist fruit shop in Ginza. Uh, which is a very affluent neighborhood um, in Tokyo, right next to the Imperial Palace. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are a few um, Senbikias around the city, but the Ginza store is the original from like 100 years. It's been there 100 years or so. Um, and the fruit is, as you can imagine, all absolutely perfect and, um, and, and also very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to, for the, to bring that home, A, he, he, it suggests that he's, you know, has a very well-paid job and, and 
they're very they're affluent family um but then it's just interesting i think the way that they did they they depicted this as being a disappointment rather than something to to share and i wondered if you guys felt that memories of disappointment of which we have a few in this uh in in this series of flashbacks they're not all one or the other they're not all really fond memories and they're not all disappointments some of them are really quite horrific um i wonder if you feel that the disappointments are more prominent than the good times when you think back or Mm. is it the opposite i think it Mm. depends on, on your kind of character if you are the person who kind of mulls over things you said five years ago and still kind of, I should have said this, I should have done this, this they keep replaying in your head. And, and then, of mm. course, they will stick. If you're more yeah. an, an outgoing, happy-go-lucky person, you might remember the happier stuff more. I was trying to remember very much at all from being that age and especially about school Hmm. and i really don't remember that much about school from that age so maybe it just wasn't very traumatic for me (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I gotta say the same yeah i i do remember mostly the the bad stuff yeah from that time Mm -hmm. i don't really remember any of the bad stuff i mean maybe i just had a very charmed like elementary school and middle school but i uh (laughs) I don't really, I don't remember much of anything, but um, I don't, I, I don't remember any like big disappointments. I remember like some of the happy stuff, like, you know, playing like sports or, you know, trips we would mm-hmm. take or, you know, field trips, things, things of that nature. But um, I didn't, I don't know. It always struck me that, you know, cause you usually people tell you, oh, you, you kind of view the past with rose colored uh, glasses and you only kind of remember mm-hmm. the good things. And I've mm-hmm. certainly kind of, you know, felt that way. I, I generally, unless it was a very traumatic um, experience, like like the first time I drank and got drunk, um, uh, you know, other than that, like you kind of remember just like, you know, the super, you know, happy times. To this day, I still can't drink pineapple rum because of that first time I ever drank. So, um, <laughs> Back to the pineapple. See, pineapples, they're bad. <laughs> ja- Jamie was there for, for that experience. So, I was, uh, yep. <laughs> it's all your fault, Jamie. I assume I was egging him on, so <laughs> naturally. But yeah, yeah. filling out. I feel like I, I only. Re- I do tend to like only. I, I guess like remember the good things. Even when I think back on like, you know, like this job I had in New York, for example, like a couple of years ago, like it was awful, and I was having panic attacks all the time. But I still now, when I think back, and I think like, oh yeah, I got to go to like Soho House all the time, and like I got to hang out with cool clients, and you know, I think back how much I liked it when I know for a mm. fact that I was miserable. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, uh, you know that that goes straight into another another of the main themes of this movie, right? It's it's you, do you live to work or do you work to live? And and obviously, um, Taiko is you know is uh is working to live in tokyo she's uh despite these um or maybe because of these um the the some of the more distressing kind of memories that she kind of comes that come back to her uh, throughout the movie just she she has grown into what appears to me to be you know a, a perfectly kind of uh you know mature and, and uh um 
independent young woman living in the city, working, fending for herself. She lives, I think, it seems to me that she lives by herself. Mm-hmm. Um, she's mm-hmm. got a, you know, a decent job in an office, um, I guess, and she's paying her way. But um, she obviously doesn't really kind of love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we get throughout the movie, we'll, we'll see what happens uh to her and, and the decisions that she makes. Whereas Toshio, total opposite. And he tells us at some, at some point that he used to work in an office, didn't he? And he and was miserable. Mm-hmm. Miserable and decided, which I guess she will ultimately do as well, to leave that and to come to the country. And, you know, he's really passionate about what he does now. Mm-hmm. And he really um, lives for his work. And, and he's an you know, organic farmer. Yeah. So yeah. in in 1982, that sounds like really avant-garde. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed all those discussions about how like different organic farming was when now it's like such a buzzword. But it was cool yeah. to uh, hear about it back then. Yeah, I um, really loved the 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 time that this movie spends on that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's you know time that modern day movies don't allow themselves or afford themselves and even back then you know studio ghibli studio ghibli had some some good successes at this point but you know what wasn't really the the kind of autonomous powerhouse that it would become mm-hmm. um you know there would there would have still been pressures on these guys to one degree or another from from the parent company and from the you know the funders but uh the time that uh, the Takahata spends on various things through this movie. Really, really, I really love, and and one of them is, is what, how how she describes to the viewer what saf what safflower is and what mm. it's used for, mm. and the process, and he shows you the process of of how they make it into the product and how, well, how it is made for the rich city women, whereas <laughs> yeah. the country women just get the the leftovers basically. Yeah, yeah, they're at the wrong end of the value chain unfortunately so even in in this crop uh you have the city country contrast yeah that's right that's Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely also you know the time that he takes going back to the pineapple you know takeo waits to see her family's reactions before she has a bite of the pineapple herself and it's patience that i don't think i had as a kid i would have just shoved it in my mouth I think. <laughs> um, but that patience is also um, afforded us by the filmmaker who gives us that moment yeah this is so so ceremonious mm-hmm. it really is with the cutting mm-hmm. and the it's like d- division the tea ceremony <laughs> yeah. watching her yes. chew it was so delightful though <laughs> especially know, that I last bite when you see when you see her mouth half open and then the chunks of pineapple yes. between her teeth and, her, and she's, she's so this sad is so bad because oh. <laughs> wasn't it her that requested the pineapple yeah yeah, well. she so wanted she idea. wanted everyone to kind of enjoy it and then it was just sour pulp yeah yeah poor thing they all went off to eat bananas. <laughs> yeah, the queen of the fruit. Yeah. So, do you guys have a, an equivalent in your childhood of of the pineapple? Um, and it might not just it might not be the fact that this something came and it was a disappointment like that. Um, my example's not. I'll give you mine so you can have a bit of time to think about it. Mm-hmm. My example is when 
um, was my example is the Mattel Ewok Village uh, that my dad brought back from a business trip to the States. Um, and that's what I kind of thought was my equivalent to the pineapple. So dad, dad bringing something home that's special um, that you don't, you know, this, this is a unique item. Um, and, you know, the joy, actually, my, my brother, this, this for me is just a wonderful memory. It's, you know, it was sheer joy at seeing this enormous box um, and, uh, and, and opening it up. And it was this huge plastic Ewok village, which, uh, you know, is, is huge Return of the Jedi fans. Mm -hmm. My brother and I absolutely adored this thing. Still have it in the loft somewhere. Yeah. Kind of nothing lives up to the hype. Mm hmm Well, I, I have sort of a similar memory, which is that um, when I was a kid, Jurassic Park was like my favorite thing in the entire world, unsurprisingly. And um, I read the book for The Lost World, which is like the second part of Jurassic Park, and was so hyped for that movie. And I was mm. even—I was probably a little young to go to it and uh, convince my parents that I should go alone and went to the movie. And I thought it was a terrible movie. It didn't follow the book at all. <laughs> and like the disappointment yeah. of it not following this book, which I had loved so much at all, was just like... Literally, I have never been so let down in my life by a piece of media. I was totally prepared for the Star Wars prequels to not be good. I didn't right. care at all that the Harry Potter movies didn't follow the books. Like, whatever. I'm like, nothing could be as bad as The Lost World. Because <laughs> I was like 12 when it happened. So it was very painful for me. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, wait. I, I can't think of a similar incident, though. Glad that you got you haven't been so let down. <laughs> oh, I probably have. I just can't remember anything specific. Fair <laughs> you got anything? Any anything come to mind, Ruben? Um, other than you know, my parents' gift of life to me, which I found extremely disappointing. One out of five stars. <laughs> would not would not recommend. Um, <laughs> God damn it! Yeah. Oh, I've got to live my whole life. By the way, I, I found know. it just strange that in. In, in 1966, the pineapple would still be so exotic for a Japanese family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder, like, because it's obviously, you know, through the 50s, it was a period of rebuilding under, um, under American kind of stewardship. So I just wonder how much the country had opened up at that point. I, I don't know. I'd have to kind of go back and have a look and read. Although I um, probably only had my first real, real meaning fresh pineapple also when I was like 10 or something. So I, I'm just reading now. I looked this up. Um, you know, pineapples do grow in Japan. So I mm -hmm. guess I, this is I, what I found strange. Yeah. Mm. And I thought they did as well when I watched it. So I thought it was a little strange that it was kind of a, you know, this, this treat and delicacy because I was pretty sure that in the more tropical climates of Japan, like down in Okinawa or anywhere else, mm. like that's further South, they grow. And I think they, they do grow, you know? So I, I was just a little confused by that. You know, maybe it was like wartime rationing perhaps, but um, you know, that, mm. that did kind of strike me as a little weird. And mm. I, their family is not poor, right? Like their family is no. middle class. I mean, they, they listen to classical music. Mm -hmm. They're, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he he can afford to to go out and and buy this this fruit. I mean, they 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 obviously have experience with pineapple itself. They they have had the tin the pineapple, one, yeah. yeah, and and so maybe that's kind of where it's come from. In, in you know post war, um, maybe post war culture was more canned 
because everything was canned in the war, wasn't it? Or maybe they were just still more seasonal in their shopping and, and stuff was not shipped from one end of the country to the other. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Might as well have yeah. been. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's right. I mean, I, my early childhood is, is the early 80s and we didn't have most of the stuff in the stores that we do now. I like, agree, yeah. I mean, strawberries in January. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we had to Literally, I live in the middle of the country, but all the like stuff like fish was like pretty exotic to me as a child. Ruben, does the the website that you consulted tell you if bananas are grown in Japan? Uh, I can. Look. I wouldn't have uh, thought they. I wouldn't have thought they are. I didn't think so either. But, but they're obviously very familiar with bananas. Maybe just because they're pretty cheap. Yeah, maybe. So I don't think probably back then. No, I'm reading now about hmm. a. A, a special form of banana called a hardy banana. It's a hardy banana. It's a special, small, tiny little banana that grows in Japan. But um, I don't wow. know if they grow the traditional. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like something from Zelda. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you picked up a hardy banana. <laughs> <laughs> don't go alone. Um, <laughs> Take this. You'll need it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> apparently, you can also eat its skin. Sorry, this is now a complete non sequitur. <laughs> I'm curious as to what website you're on. Is it some, you know, <laughs> fruit in Japan in the 60s? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the fruits. I mean, this, this <laughs> movie is about agriculture, so let's talk about crops. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. You know what? Talking about shipping um, something from one part of the country to another, Taiko gets on an overnight train uh, from Tokyo to um to the countryside up north where does she go what i can't i didn't write down the the province did anyone write it down i can't remember isn't it yum oh i looked yum, it up it's uh, it's not far from yamanado? Tokyo. i looked it up in uh yamanado. yamanado yamanado that's what it is yeah that's right doris it's up near nagano um for anyone who remembers where that is from the when they had the winter that's why Olympic. they talk about skiing in the winter mm-hmm. yeah indeed yeah she gets on the overnight train which is um interesting in japan because they, even back then they had the bullet train and it was you know a thing of, of wonder it still continues to be in my mind um but boy aren't overnight trains amazing yeah yes if you don't have to share your your um, cubicle with someone <laughs> <laughs> yes yourself. yeah that's right as long as you're on your own yeah i love an overnight train i've, I've only done it uh well i've done it a couple of times but um, as a child, uh, we always liked to go on, or my parents always liked to take us on holiday to France. Um, not unusual for, for a British family. And my dad would always drive, loved driving, dad. So we would drive from Newcastle all the way down to the south coast, which was a bit of a journey in itself. It takes, takes kind of most of the day. Uh, and then we'd get to kind of Dover or, or, or Folkestone or wherever it was. And we'd, we'd put the car on the ferry um, and then... The ferry will take you to, because there's no channel tunnel at that point, the ferry will take you into Calais or wherever, and then you get on a train. And then this this time we were going right down to the south of France. And so we jumped on the train. My dad, So my dad had to get the car off the ferry and onto the train. Um, we went ahead. He just went and got the car and did the car bit. We went ahead and got on the train. Um, and we were slightly alarmed when the train pulled off uh, with my dad still sitting in the traffic jam, waiting to get the 
the car onto the train. Oh no! Uh, so we so off we went, um, and basically they they couldn't hold up the train any longer. It was a bit of a, a delay trying to get the cars on. They're not allowed to hold up the train uh, at its setting off point, but for whatever reason they are allowed to keep the train at a stop further down. So my dad had to drive kind of part way down the country and join us uh, wherever it was. I don't know where it was, but so yeah, we, we got on, he got, I remember he got on the train. I was only very little, kind of like four or five years old. And I remember when he, he got on the train, it was like in the middle of the night, like three o'clock in the morning or something. Cause I remember getting, <laughs> walking up when he came in. Uh, but yeah, we had this lovely little, little cabin just as, just as she did, just, uh, me, my brother and my mum and dad. And it was, it was a wonderful memory. I really, lo- I really loved it. Well, Aww. I remember taking an overnight train on a school trip um, nice. down to Rome. It was not a wonderful experience. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, poor you. What happened? <laughs> it was hot, it was stuffy, it was dirty. Mm, that's fair. I took a night train from southern France to Paris that... Uh, I was like in a shared cabin with my friend and six other of our new closest French friends. And there were some, uh, I think, Russian guys who were just drinking in the hall all night and were very loud. (laughs) Oh, no. But I was on the, the bottom bunk in this like stack of bunks. And I remember the sound of the train wheels was just very soothing. So despite the Russian guys, it like really literally like rocked me to sleep. Yeah, that's also why I love sleeping on planes um, and taking red eyes to like London or Paris because I just immediately fall asleep, you know, uh, on the Mm -hmm. plane. Oh, lucky you. so nice. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not good at sleeping on planes. (laughs) No, not not at all. Just gives me headaches. Oh, no. So I'm not not a good traveler. (laughs) (laughs) On the train, this is where it starts, isn't it? She starts to reminisce about her her childhood. um, Mm Mm-hmm. When she arrives, then she she meets um, the man of her dreams, her future, mm-hmm. perhaps husband. I don't know. There's an insinuation at the end, isn't there, during the credits, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Ruben, that that mm-hmm. they commence a relationship of some kind. But it's it's very much left to your imagination if it, if it kind of works out or not. Mm-hmm. We we may find out this year. So, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about this. R- reading from Wikipedia. That on August 31st, 2020, it was announced a live-action special based on the manga will air on uh, on NHK's sub-channel BS blah, blah, blah uh, in January of 2021. I don't know whether it's happened hmm. um, or not, but August last year is mid-pandemic, so presumably they had a pandemic plan um, <laughs> for getting this out by January. Um, the special will be about a 64-year-old Taiko and her daughter and granddaughter. Interesting. Well, at least at least the relationship was fruitful. Yeah, or was it? <laughs> Presumably, is yeah. <laughs> or it turns out she's married to a totally different guy. Could be. She's like, yeah, I mean, I she and you know, we're together for two weeks. It didn't work out. Anyway, here's my <laughs> husband Suzuki. <laughs> I mean, she kind of she kind of wants a family. This is what I get from the subtext. Um, mm-hmm. She yeah. talks about Rie. I think it's Rie, mm-hmm. the the slightly stocky girl. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, she tells Tasha, "Well, uh, she was so average, and she was nothing special." 
<laughs> but she's happily married and has two kids. And mm -hmm. Taiko kind of seems a little bit envious of her. Yeah. Uh, what, because she's got it sorted out a bit more yeah. in her mind? Mm. And doesn't Do she think... also say something about, like, she's envious of Tashio for knowing what he wants in life? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, is she, this is what she's really struggling with, I guess, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. she, you know, she's got, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, she's, she's developed into a, you know, a, an independent woman, you know, to the degree where she goes on her own summer vacations to the countryside. Is that, I mean, the fact that she goes to the countryside in the summer for kind of these working holidays seems to me like it's a kind of a reach out to try and like just, you know, try something different, like, because maybe she's not, and maybe it's not overt, maybe it's subconscious that she's not happy, you know, just doing the office job in Tokyo. And maybe she is, she thinks that it's just, you know, a, a holiday in inverted commas, but maybe it actually is more than that. Maybe it is her kind of trying to think, well, this isn't, this isn't working. Maybe I do need to figure something different out. I mean, we get to know from the very beginning that she has always this yearning for the country. This, please, mom, take me somewhere. All the other girls are going mm. on, on trips to the countryside to visit their grandparents, etc. I want to go to the country. And all she gets is this Ryokan experience <laughs> with her granny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I did like the look of some of those um, baths. Yeah. Some of those onsen. Could, could this right. also be those a reason really that nice. Disney didn't want to show that, that film? Because we actually see nude people. That's it true. could well be. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure that came into it as well. Didn't they edit another one that we watched where someone was like nude in a bath? I'm yeah, not... it was. Uh, to, I mean, Totoro has um, that scene where the oh, dad and the, the dad two girls are in the bath. Yeah. So I think there's some some editing going on there. Although although the deal the deal with uh, with between Disney and Ghibli and the reason that they couldn't get this one out is because Ghibli basically said you can't change anything there's no edits mm -hmm. so i think disney probably would have liked to have got this out but and probably just like you know watered down the, the menstruation talk <laughs> a bit <laughs> if that's the right phrase um and uh but but ghibli just wouldn't allow it mm -hmm. um but you're right but the i mean i guess because they are in the past and because we have this kind of hazy um animation style for those It's all kind of not blurry, is it? But it's all just um, line drawings, aren't they? They're not. Mm. It's it's almost in. They're almost. In, I was. I would. I want to say silhouettes, but they're not because they're, they're, they're not black. They're, they're, there's flesh colored, but all you get is an outline. Mm -hmm. There's no detail, and so I think that's Ghibli's way of just. This is this is all you can. This is as far as we can go. Yeah. With this sort of thing, which is fair enough. Yeah. But I mean, I think you know, in Japan, this is just normal life. Yeah. yeah. For for us, it's it's weird and and, and different. Mm -hmm. But I think in Japan, it, they wouldn't have even blinked. Mm -hmm. I wanted to. So there's the swan bath. I, I listed these. There's the swan <laughs> bath, the violet bath, the uh, bath. my favorite, the brothers Grimm bath. <laughs> What? <laughs> the brothers Grimm bath. That's Grimm wow, bath. I don't know if I want to. Yeah, I don't know if I want to do that one. <laughs> That's <a bit> creepy, <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> there's the mermaid bath, which sounds very nice. The lemon bath sounds lovely. Loads of like lemons float around, uh, and then the magnificent Roman bath, the big one that we see. Yeah, uh, where, where she, she then kind of is so worn out of all of those 
hot bath that she right. uh, faints mm-hmm. and nearly drowns. She passes out, and that, yeah, marking the end of her holiday. Yeah, I thought those baths looked very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing I'd like to ask uh, you, Doris, and you, Jamie, not you, Ruben, you don't count in this one. Okay. <laughs> um, one of one of young uh, Taiko's observations is of her sister uh, Nakano wearing a miniskirt mm, and covering um, her and bum, having to cover her yep. bum up the escalator, which is quite timely, at least in 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 the UK, because we are uh, of, of a tragic event that has led to a lot of scrutiny on um, in the press about the 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 kind of things that women have to put up with mm-hmm. um, in this sort of manner. And so I didn't want to kind of let this go without without just talking about it and asking you guys if, if is this is this a, a common experience that you you guys have to go through all these almost subconscious things just because of the way that men uh, were and sadly still are. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, you try not to be alone uh, out in the dark. Mm-hmm. Mm. You try not to um, walking through a train station alone at night. Or a parking Something lot. to avoid. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the miniskirt thing, I personally never had that experience because I do not wear miniskirts. But, um, <laughs> right. And especially not the really, the really short ones they had in the 60s. Um, mm-hmm. mm. But, of course, yeah. you are told, you are, you are trained, um, walk behind a man when you walk up the stairs don't walk in front of him because he will try mm. to look under your skirt mm-hmm. all that shit and, and use your keys as a weapon and yep. yeah mm. yeah definitely my mom always reminds me if i'm going out at night she's like make sure you have your keys in your hand so mm. I mean, the only reason that i'm not afraid walking my dog at night is the dog same. Yep. My dog yeah. has protected me from creepy men before, so... Yeah. Because he is the perfect social distancing weapon. Mm-hmm. Yep. My dog actually is, like, pretty good at detecting when someone is acting strangely and making me uncomfortable. He's also the, the reason why I go camping alone is because I can take my dog and he can hang out in the tent and he will alert anyone within a 500-mile vicinity if something bad is about to happen. <laughs> See, Jamie, we still need men in our lives, even though they're canines. <laughs> we need our wow. dog men. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably better if they're canines, to be honest. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, um, it's, uh, I, I, find, I find it very sad that, that that's the case um, and, and unfortunate and regrettable. Mm-hmm. I wish it wasn't the case. I hope it won't always be the case. Um, but yeah, the, the this problem has is, is been going on for a long time, as not least evidenced by that observation from um, from Taiko. I do feel like just even looking at media from like the two thousands, I think it's getting better, at least in terms of people getting called out for doing it. You know, media from the two thousands yeah. is like they still really treated women poorly and it was fine and everyone agreed with it, you know, or most people agreed with it. Whereas now um, I feel like there's a lot of voices that are speaking up. So Mm. I'm optimistic. I mean, a lot has changed within the last 10 years, I'd say. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Yeah. And I guess that's why 
looking back only 10 years ago it's it's so alarming because it's really not that long ago mm-hmm. that 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 those depictions were quite so overt and if if you look back to the same kind of things you know 30 40 years earlier than that mm-hmm. or going back to kind of you know the treatment of of women in cinema of the kind of 40s and 50s you know i mean film noir is one of the worst of in its treatment of women mm-hmm. um you one kind of forgives it a bit more it's not the right word but understands maybe it a bit more but uh or lets it go there's all all horrible things that i'm kind of saying but you know what i mean it's like because it's so long ago you kind of well that's just the time but right. it's wrong to do that it's right. wrong to do that but i think that's how they kind of those get a pass on those things to a degree whereas you know the, the cinema of the 2000s really shouldn't and, and we think back and we think well we really should have known better that was us really you know that was that was actually us Although I have to say, I, the, the misogyny in, in, in the movie we're talking about is very uh, subtle. Mm-hmm. Well, other than her father, who is just an awful person, I think, which is a running theme in most of these Studio Ghibli films. You think? He, he struck me as like a remarkably uncaring father, but then I wasn't sure if that was just of the time. He struck me as not there. He well, he slapped the shit out of her, like right, yeah, but which just is once. not okay, yeah, J- just once. Oh, okay, right, yeah. I mean, just, I d- just once, and it was a big one, though. Yeah, yeah, a big one. But um, let's not forget, it's 1966, right? And parents being physically, um, I don't want to use the word abusive, um, but physically mm. uh, punishing children was mm. absolutely nothing unusual. Yeah. Not just in Japan. I agree. I think he was definitely portrayed as being of his time. Yeah. Not and that then, we, you know, condone those values, but... And her sisters actually complain that he keeps spoiling her by buying her stuff when mm. they get mm. nothing. Yeah. He just yeah. kind of... He's emotionally absent. He's not there. Mm-hmm. I think that that's right, and and I think that that's pro, pro, uh, is that different in the east versus the west. I think that's less different. I think that that kind of thing was more, is was more universal. I think it's probably changed now, but I think that was more universal. Whereas previously we talked about that kind of pressure on women to be married when they're younger being more prominent or more overt. Yeah, in the east, I think that. So I mean, I. Uh, I used to get a spank bottom from my mum when I was really naughty when mm-hmm. I was little, and I remember those. And they were they were they hurt. They were that was a bare bum with a with a with a flat hand. That was a good proper spanking. Mm. And you know I never did those things again. Whatever it was, I don't remember what I did. Probably not. Probably didn't deserve it, mum. But, <laughs> but, but I remember them. Uh, there were only a handful. That, Literally, they were, they were they were only they were only it only happened once or twice as far as I remember. But yeah, they were, that you know that's kind of a similar thing. It's not mm-hmm. the face. I think that's that's brutal, especially coming from the dad on a girl. Yeah, yeah. That that really kind of and was I mean, quite alarming. That scene. She also tells Naoko, is it Naoko, uh, that she remembers mm. it that clearly because it was the only time he ever did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it was Naoko. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like uh, it was more frightening i guess because 
he seemed like he was out of control in that moment. Like he just did it as a reflex right. rather and than it being a like a stated moment punishment. Because she just left the house without shoes. Mm-hmm. No shoes. I mean, yeah. she she's being a brat before. Oh yeah. She was yeah. being a little brat and throwing yeah. a tantrum. Well, I, so, but, like, but him flipping out mm-hmm. just because she, she stepped out of the house without shoes on. Um, mm. Just, it seemed to me like he, that was kind of the combination of things that had bubbled up inside him for a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's right. And, and I don't think um, that her being a brat... It doesn't justify uh, anything. I, I, no, it doesn't. No. And, I, and I actually don't think that came into his, his action. I think he acted as he did because she came out with no shoes on. And I think that is, speaks to how he was probably raised... Mm. Um, in 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 probably a similar way, mm-hmm. where you know where traditions are, and you know the rules of the house are sacrosanct, and um, and you know falling foul of one got that that punishment. Mm. So he's probably been on, uh, on the receiving end of that a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows, maybe the sisters were as well. It, what's what's interesting though is that it was the one and only time. Maybe that we don't know whether that was because she just never did anything that deserved it again, or deserved it in inverted commas in in the dad's mind, mm-hmm. um, or whether it was a change in him. We don't know. Yeah, or maybe the spanking was usually done by the mom. Well, it was in in my family. <laughs> <laughs> I always had a much closer relationship with my mom than my dad, in the sense that it was much more emotive. My um, relationship with my mom, my dad was always more distant. Uh, and and I think for that reason, when when I when it was threatened that dad would, you know, you, your dad will, your father will hear about this, right? That was always, mm-hmm. that was always worse than my mum finding something out. <laughs> Even though my dad never did anything uh, in that in like this like that to me, um, it was more the 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 sense of disappointing my dad. My parents were the opposite for me, and I just remembered a very clear memory of um, we had, like, the whole house totally cleaned, all three of us, because I'm an only child, have been working hard cleaning the whole house because a bunch of our relatives were flying in. And 10 minutes before we were leaving for the airport, I opened a Coke that exploded all over the kitchen. (laughs) And I was just like standing there, like dripping in Coke. I was wearing nice clothes because we were going to pick up these relatives. And my dad walked in the kitchen and he, his eyes just got really wide. And he goes, let's not say a word about this to your mother. And he just started like cleaning it up. And he's like, go change your clothes. (laughs) 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 Like ran into my room and changed my clothes. And I came back and my dad's like putting the finishing touches on getting Coke off the ceiling. Oh boy. And my mom walks in and she's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I just saw something up there. So. Oh, nice. He covered for you. <laughs> Good save. Good oh, yeah. save. Yeah, my dad's pretty clutch at, because my, my dad is like the calmest man on earth. And so when something bad happens, he's always the guy who's like just solving nice. the problems and chilling everybody out. That's aspirational. <laughs> I just, I just remember his like eyes taking in this scene of his child <laughs> coated in dripping Coca Cola. <laughs> he was probably the one that shook the can up and put it back in the fridge. <laughs> he was like, "This will be great." <laughs> ah, yes, the trickster. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, it, what's interesting about the the scene in the movie is is that the dad 
you know, when, when she's being a brat, the dad is quite patient with her. And it's another one of those moments where Takahata gives us time in the moment. And there, are, there is a good kind of five seconds or more of just silence where the dad is just, you know, looking at the girl and just l- mm-hmm. letting her kind of decide what to do. And she says, I'm staying. And he goes, okay, we're leaving. Uh, She's also told her that if you say something, you have to follow through with it. And she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because she said, then I'm not going. I'm staying at home. And then she says, wait, I'm coming along. Mm-hmm. She doesn't learn the lessons. So she kind of disobeys his mm-hmm. lessons. But uh, yeah, the, the parents, they seem strange to me. The mom. She, yeah. She's mean. I mean. <sighs> I think she is she's mean. Always, she's always criticizing, always nagging, mm-hmm. always chastising her. I wonder mm-hmm. if it's because her... Her two sisters seem... Her sisters, they are bitches. Sorry for the word. <laughs> but they seem, I mean, the, they seem the, a similar age. The younger one seems to... to uh, no, the, the oldest mm. one seems to be quite okay. It's the middle one, on. isn't it? The middle it one. helps her with the homework. <sighs> Jesus. Maybe, I, I don't know, because I'm only t- in a two. Um, maybe that's a middle... Child, thing? I don't know, but I, I I got the impression that the two older sisters are much closer in age, and then there's a, a much bigger gap mm-hmm. um, to Taiko, and maybe that I thought is what alienates her from from you know the two you know I want to I don't want to say grown up because they're not grown up they're still kind of young young girls but they they're kind of getting in towards young adult territory the two the two sisters yeah, and then the mother the middle one is in high school already mm. the other one is in her first year at college right. so maybe 19 yeah and then of course mother mm-hmm. and so i guess maybe they're just much closer to mother in their you know emotional development and taiko mm. is still still a kid so there's that gap yeah. and maybe that's how yeah. why she feels a bit different and also she is i mean she is different she's much more creative you know, she's much less mm-hmm. focused on academia and she's much more into kind of um, her creative writing and um, and the artistic parts of her. Yeah, but she's never praised for that. It's not valued, yeah. is it, by the family? It's no. not valued at all. I mean, then she, she is in that school play and she has the chance to go on to oh, a bigger so play. And that it was so sad, yes. <laughs> I said no. And her little like dream sequence of her being a star. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very sad. You know, this movie, it, it deals with a lot of, I mean, we've talked about a lot of different things that it deals with, right? It's not, it's, it's certainly yeah. not um, light on these things. It takes time with them. Mm-hmm. It, it's really skillful at showing you how those experiences that she's had were, you know, f- have formed who she is now. And the, the, uh, you know that's what she's wrestling with, and I think yeah. it's masterfully done by Takahara. I, I just I can't mm. really praise this this movie enough. I and mean, what we've talked quite a lot about it. What let's get down to what you guys think about it then. I mean, what, Doris, what did you did you did you enjoy watching this movie? Did you like it? I liked it. I did enjoy watching it. It was not what I was mm. expecting because it is so much slower. Yeah. In pace, it doesn't tell that much of a story. If if you go for the plot points, yeah, it's it's a summer, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's some memories. It is not that exciting of a plot. Yeah. But it still makes an enjoyable watch. It very much feels like a movie for grown-ups. Yes, definitely. Mm. Jamie, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, I felt like it was a both realistic and moving look at, at being, you know, a, a young woman looking back at her life. I really felt like it empathized well with her, like, childhood view, which is definitely a thing that we've seen as a theme throughout Studio Ghibli. Yep. Um, but it was really cool to also see her as an adult instead of just being a child. Mm. Yeah. What did you guys think of the music choices? I generally love all the music in Studio Ghibli films. I actually have a book of sheet music of Studio Ghibli um, piano pieces that I'm like going through to learn. Um, and I think the music is great. Uh, that being said, yeah, I the music, usually I, I'm kind of swept up by the music, but maybe it's because this isn't a kind of fantastical or whimsical yeah. film. It's more of a down-to-earth real film. They didn't feel the need to kind of have this kind of sweeping or kind of, you know... Um, you know, more fantastical score uh, to the film. Mm-hmm. It's more like you were saying it, Doris, it's more of an adult film, you know? Yeah, and the incidental mu- music choices, so the music the characters listen to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Tosh, you're listening to Hungarian mm. farm choirs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. And Neapolitan uh, folk songs. He's really into the the organic farming. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he's getting back to the the roots of the folk music. He's an OG yeah. hipster, exactly. And the Schubert, yes, her dad listens to to mm-hmm. Schubert. Hey, I love Schubert. They, you know, the <laughs> mo- almost all of the the ones we've looked at so far have, have uh, talked about so far have got some sort of European touch point, mm-hmm. and and mm. the music, as you described, Doris, is is this movies european touch point which then of course makes the finals the final music piece that kind of took me out a little bit although it fits the time period mm-hmm. do you like do you but like how the how the movie ends uh as as you described earlier ruben do, do you guys like how it, it it tells us the the kind of the finishing part during the credits why not makes yeah. people read the credits right. yeah exactly. I, did. I thought it was brilliant i mean i thought it ended at exactly the right point and i thought actually when it yeah. was when it ended in terms of the kind of the dialogue I, mean, you leave, I thought that was going to be it and i thought we, we're not going to yeah, know if, if you leave too soon or if you just switch it off too soon you're missing but i think actually i think if you missed that if you did that i think you would still be in a good place because i think it would i actually thought they were going to leave it like that like well you don't know mm-hmm. whether she is going to go back or not and, and she was due to go back in the winter, that following yeah. winter and go yeah. skiing. Maybe maybe that's what she does, right? So she goes, goes back to a normal life and actually spends the next kind of six months or whatever thinking, you know what, maybe I should just move there. Maybe that's, that is, this is enough for me. And that's what I thought was going to happen. But then, yeah, then she gets invaded by all these school children from her memory. Mm. And that to me was the perfect way to end it. Yeah. So just basically for me, the, the music over the uh, credit mm. scene is... Kind of like the only thing I don't like. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, it's maybe a different choice. Yeah. It feels like, you know, the single that was going to get put out to promote <laughs> the soundtrack or something like that. Did you guys like the, the Disney dub? 
I only watched the trailer Disney dub because right. it's the only uh, thing I could get. To me, it and it's not Daisy Ridley, but it it sounds too much modern hmm. to me. I don't know. Ruben, did you watch the Disney dub? I did watch the Disney dub. Um, yeah, you know, I, I have kind of this, I have the same issue Doris has actually with a lot of those Ghibli films. They sound too, like the animation and the themes are very kind of, you know, early 90s feeling, which is great. But then the audio, the voices do feel very modern. You know, they there's kind of a dissonance mm-hmm. there, I think, um, mm-hmm. which... Which is kind of hard to, to level. So I might, with the next film we're watching, I might try to watch or somehow procure the Japanese oh my version. God. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure where to get a hold At of it. At last. Because I, I, <laughs> Physical I, media. I love watching films. Buy on Amazon. <laughs> I love watching movies with, uh, with subtitles. Um, so, you know, I watch a lot of foreign films and I think it's great. Um, so, yeah, it, it, there's a kind of dissonance there. I, I agree, just in general. That being said, I don't think there was a particular mm. problem with this film um with the dub but you know it in general i think it's a it's a mm. problem that happens across these movies that are dubbed so far after um mm. they're originally created okay our, ne- our next movie is is porco rosso and you know how i feel about that movie ruben so i'm not going to record with you until you've got it and watched the japanese original <laughs> is, it, is that michael is that michael keaton, is michael keaton in the dub as porco rosso i've watched it and it's terrible you, you have like, I, I will not i cannot take it i will not do it until you've watched the Japanese. <laughs> I refuse. I'll, I'll watch the Japanese version. Please, but it is on. just, it is Michael Keaton as Porco Rosso. I could not take seriously. No. That was some serious dissonance. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> My dissonance on the Disney dub is because Daisy Ridley, who's British, puts on an American accent. Right. But yes. Dev Patel sticks with his English accent. Yeah. I wasn't sure why that didn't happened. work for me. Different uh, provinces in, yeah. in different prefectures in yeah, Japan. Let's put it down to that. Mm. Yeah. As a fan of the original Japanese versions, the, the Disney dubs rarely ever work for me. Um, I'm trying to think of one that actually did. I think Nausicaa was not too bad. I don't know. I have to go back, but I just basically try and blank out the Disney dubs out of my mind. Getting to, I didn't mind it. You didn't mind it, Jamie. Just gonna say, you thought it was all right. Yeah. Sorry, we didn't. Uh, I didn't get. We didn't oh, get that's the okay. Side, did we? Thought it was all right. Okay. The, I mean, the Dev Patel accent was startling to me, but um, I thought I was actually surprised by how good Daisy Ridley's American accent was. So right, okay. The one one part that was really weird. She in the beginning part of the movie, she's talking on the phone and she's saying she's like going to her you know, cousins out in the country and she started speaking in an American Southern accent. And I was like, mm, too much. <laughs> this is not correct. <laughs> stretch that one. Jamie, feel free on Porco Rosso to also watch the <laughs> Japanese original, if you like. Okay. There's on, I don't know if you guys have got it, but on Netflix, these are all on Netflix in the UK. Um, and the Porco Rosso version does have a French version with Jean Reno. As the eponymous um, flying pig. Oh, I would, I would watch that. It's much better than that. that they're, sadly, they're sadly not on Netflix. <laughs> oh, no. So, and they're also not on Amazon or any other streaming uh, service that is free Ours or that I have access to. So oh. I had to buy it. Oh, mm. well, you've got a great, you've got a great movie. Which, here. which, we're nine euros well invested. So, yeah. well, maybe you can work through this now that you've got Grave of the Fireflies and. Takahata's second movie 
maybe you should get Pompoco next and watch that one. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I found out today that I actually grew up with Isao Takahata's work without ever knowing that. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Because I remember as a five or six year old watching Heidi. Oh, yeah. And I just today realized that it is an Isao Takahati anime. That's right. Yeah. Him and oh. Miyazaki worked on a lot of those um, cartoons in the in the seventies and eighties. And I, I grew up hmm. on all these uh, cartoons. <laughs> where I never realized they were Japanese at all because all of the the, the Japanese uh, production names were removed from them. Oh right! Wow. There's no Japanese music, and and, and there's also no. It's not about Japanese topics. So. Well. That's really interesting. They, you know, they, yeah. in the West here, in in the US and in the UK, they they started out by taking Japanese animation, Japanese cartoons um, that were just made in Japan for Japanese audience, um, and they they bought the the image, the images, right, and the rights and all that kind of stuff, and then they would mm -hmm. just take, they would just re rework them from an audio perspective. And so often what you would watch, um, so let's take Battle of the Planets, for example. That was made by Japanese studio for Japanese audiences. The Americans just bought the rights to it and then just ripped up every, all the audio and redid, the, redid all the scripts and redid all the audio, um, but obviously just didn't touch any of the drawings. And so what you get here is, is totally different um, to what the Japanese children of the time would have watched. And then what they started to do is realize, well, actually, this is, it doesn't really work as well. And if you watch Battle of the Planets now, it's a bit of a mess. What they started to do with things like um, my beloved Transformers cartoon from the 80s, that was my favorite, um, they mm -hmm. would outsource the animation to Japan, but they would write the scripts and basically just you know, hire the pen. Of, of the Japanese animators. So yeah, all of them, all, pretty much all the cartoons I watched as a kid were animated in Japan. And I ne never even knew it until, again, like you, uh, Doris, fairly recently. <laughs> but how would you? Because as you say, all of the credits were, were removed. So not, no one in Japan who actually made them, I guess that was part of the deal. You just, you sell it and you move on. Mm -hmm. We'll wrap this one up with a um, bit of admin. The, so, um, Paste Magazine, uh, Doris has a list of one of the top, their top 100 um, animated movies, uh, or anime movies, rather. Now, um, you, you have not had the benefit of the, the previous episodes of this, where you would have heard no. that Grave of the Fireflies comes in at a lofty number three in the top 100. Oh, wow. The guys correctly guessed... Um, I didn't ask them, but uh, they correctly guessed that Akira, the movie Akira, is number one. They do not know the the makeup of the, the rest of the top ten, other than My Neighbor Totoro, which came in at number nine. We know that Nausicaa came in at twenty-four, and we know that Kiki's Delivery Service came in at thirty-one. Out of Castle in the Sky wasn't on the list, was it, Neil? Castle in the Sky. Oh, it is. That's in. That's the thirty-seven. Oh, okay. Thanks. Yep. Um, so that is all of our movies so far. Okay, I mean, first question is, do you think this one came in the top 100? And if so, where do you think it came? Doris, I'll ask you first, and then I'll ask the guys. <sighs> yes, I think it is in the top 100. Mm -hmm. 
but it is um, 60, between 60 and 70, I would guess. It's right. the lower end. Right. Uh, Jamie, what do you think? I agree with that. I'll I'll put it maybe like 55 or something like that. Okay. Ruben? I'm going to go with 82. 82, right. Now, Very specific. Bear in, <laughs> <laughs> now, bear in mind that this was the highest grossing movie uh, in the year it came out in 1991 in Japan. Mm-hmm. This came in at number 25 Wow! in Pace what? Magazine's top 100. So higher than Kiki's, higher than Castle in the Sky. Wow. Uh, one wow. notch below Norska. Wow. Yeah, wow indeed. Um, if, uh, if and when, sorry, I should say Ruben... You purchased for me uh, a memorabilia for this movie. Um, <laughs> Doris, Ruben's been very kind in buying me something from every single movie so far. Um, <laughs> an original anime cell. Uh, I'm not going to let you guys guess this time because it's a bit of a, a bit of a red herring this one because there aren't any um, for sale other than some secondhand ones. So uh, the secondhand market in anime cells is a bit different to the ones we've previously seen. A secondhand anime cell, and it's only it's a picture of um, Hiroda pitching. A ball during his baseball game. I love that scene. It's yeah, a great scene. The baseball game is great. Yes, that was really great. It's great, and I love um, when the two meet in the alleyway after he he find, mm-hmm. she runs off mm-hmm. and he guns finds her. Mm-hmm. And there's a beautiful moment where she she floats in the sky because she's yep, so yeah. happy. I love that. It's my second favorite <laughs> moment in the movie, by the way. Um, a secondhand anime sale on eBay is going to cost you four four hundred and eighty one point four seven English pounds. That's nothing. You can get me too if you I've want. I've already bought it for you. <laughs> you just buy now. I say it's <laughs> a lot of money, but I have absolutely no idea what that usually goes for. So, well, the the, the first hand one. So, so the if you want to get an original one first hand, it the one so far have been going like you know a couple of thousand quid. So it's it's a deal. Yeah, it's a bargain. It's a good deal. Uh, as long as it's in good condition. I mean, they're obviously finite uh, things, aren't they? There's only so many of them kicking around. I'll tell you what, uh, instead, Ruben, you can get me the original movie poster from 1991, which is going to cost you only 350 English pounds. Saving you money. Oh, okay. Saving you money there. You are, yeah. Thank you, Neil. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, uh, this movie has, uh, or is rather, it has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know if you guys uh, noticed that. Uh, it makes the list of those uh, 100% Rotten Tomatoes movies that have over 20 critic reviews. There's the list kept of those ones. Uh, in fact, it's, I, I just learned this when I looked this up about this movie. Only three Studio Ghibli movies are on that list. Wow. Um, I wouldn't have guys, guessed that it's this one. Do you guys want to guess the other two? One we've talked about. One we have yet to talk about. Hmm. I'll tell you what, try and get to the one we've talked about because the other one I'll give you because it's going to be really hard because there are a lot to choose from. Then I would guess <laughs> Fireflies. I would too. Yeah, I, I would as well. You yeah. would be correct. The other one, so Fireflies has 40 reviews. Only yesterday has 56 reviews. Hmm. The other one, um, interestingly, is another Takahata and it's his most recent one, The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, mm-hmm. which has 95 mm. reviews ah. at 100%. So I've will, heard so many wow. good things about that one. So you will get to talk about that one, Jamie. Um, and Excellent. It's <laughs> one to look forward to. The um, 
Interesting, interesting that there's there's three on there and the, none of them are the Miyazakis. Uh, maybe yeah. maybe that's because the Miyazakis are are more popular in inverted commas, and so more people go on the onto Rotten Tomatoes to have their bit say about it. Mm. And these and and I think if you get, I don't know if, how it works, but it, I may po- possibly even one um, negative review takes you off the one hundred rating. So I mean, maybe people are just having a yeah, you know. It's a broader pool. Yeah. Um, the one, interestingly, just uh, as an aside, the, the movie on that list with the most critic reviews, uh, with 244 uh, reviews getting it on a, well, 100%, is Paddington 2. <laughs> oh, oh. Ruben, you that don't agree? That movie is and, so and delightful. It's delightful, isn't it, Jerry? It's well-deserved. Yes. Well-deserved. Yes. You don't think so, Ruben? Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Delightful movie. Yes. Um, two more bits of admin. My favorite part, actually. Um, the whimsy scale and finally the grade that you guys give it. Give this movie. So, Doris, we give, um, we give the whimsy scale is uh, Ruben's concoction. It's one to ten. I suppose you can give it zero. Let's say zero to ten. Um, zero for zero percent whimsy. Ten for as whimsical as um, as a you know a cat that's giant and has turned into a bus. Um, <laughs> what do you give this on Ruben's whimsy scale? So I would go for a five. Five. Yes, because right. there is in, in in those flashback scenes there is a lot of whimsy. We also have the magical stuff, mm. and um, on the other hand, it is very down to earth, very realistic, very. 1980s Japan. So, a solid five. A right five, in the middle. Right. Lovely. Uh, Ruben? Ooh, uh, I'm going to give it a two. Um, there was not really a lot of uh, whimsy, I didn't think, in it. There was that one scene you were talking about earlier where they kind of floated up into the sky, yep. uh, where she floated up into the sky, which I thought was, you know, that, that was fun. And I guess some of the flashbacks can be whimsical. They're whimsical in style, you know, the way they were animated, you know, with them happening in the same scene sometimes, like the train, for example, where the kids all run out in the bus scene. But overall, I thought it was a pretty, you know, grounded film. All right. And Jamie? I'm going to give it a three for similar reasons to what Ruben said. I also want to note it's the first Studio Ghibli movie we've seen with no airplanes in it. Right, because it's not Miyazaki. Um, Just trains. Yeah. <laughs> trains and yeah. automobiles. A lot of trains, a lot of trains and cars. Um, Very rickety cars. Yes. <laughs> and uh, also it didn't really have, I can't remember any animals that were like shown in close up. No, not really. Which is another deviation. Um, but yeah, th- there was a little bit of whimsy in it. I mean... The floating up in the air scene, the I'm going to be a movie star scene. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm right there with you in a three as well, just for those mm-hmm. same reasons. Uh, I gave I gave Grave of the Fireflies a two. I think this has got a <laughs> bit more bit more going on. In fact, you know, I think it has a bit more than maybe even one point. I'm going to give it a 3.5. Do we, are we, allowed, Ruben, are we allowed um, half half marks on you? Half marks are okay. Yes. That's okay. Fine. Right, good. Um, and then, all right, so the last point of our business is uh, to give it a grade. Doris, we use the American school grade system mm-hmm. of A to F. 
There's no E. Is that right? Is there no E? No E. <laughs> There's no E. <laughs> um, so where does this one come out on your on your school grade system? Something you, you've got a lot of experience in, Doris. So I'm, I'm, I'm imagining you're going to be spot on. Yeah, but our school grade system, at least the one that I use, is uh, 0 to 15. <laughs> wow, 0 oh. to 50. Holy 15. Smokes. Oh, 15. Well, that's still so quite granular. So 15 is the best. Um, more, I'll give more it a B. Better. A B, right? B. That's good. It's a good that's, grade. Mm-hmm. It's better. Th- that's exactly what I gave it to. A B. Another B, right? Ruben, where are you on this? Yeah, I, I give it a B plus actually. Um, I I enjoyed it. I like films in general that kind of are vignette based a little bit like this, and kind of are a little bit. Um, you know, kind of focusing on how characters develop. So I, I really like the character development of this. There wasn't like a lot of action, but it really puts you in a mood, you know? And I think yep. I, I really enjoy films that put you in a very specific mood and feeling. It's a very calming movie. So yeah, I give it a B plus. It is very calm. I, I thought you were going to say it's a little long. Yeah, it, it, it is a little long, but you know, it's... For me, th- this was fine. You know, it, okay. it, it was okay. You know, it, it it didn't drag. It was long, but it didn't drag. Yeah, that's good then. I I feel the same. It is long, um, but it's long in a good way. Uh, I give this an A and uh, a straight A, and which is which is the same that I uh, scores I gave Grave of the Fireflies. Um, so Takahata is really kind of hitting home runs for me. Nice. I, I give it an A because. Because I know how difficult it would have been for him, A, making this movie, right? Getting it off the ground because it's not some kind of bizarre, whimsical, fantastical thing with, you know, crazy, you know, wood sprites and stuff. Um, although his other one is obviously very realistic, very, very, very real and grounded as well. But I know how hard that must have been. And I know, you know, from taking the manga um, and putting his own stamp on it with the adult um arc was to me just masterful and you know watching this movie it two hours just goes by in no time for me i really get engrossed in in the lives of the people um obviously especially um our our lead character and i just you know weaving it together at the end with the kids on the bus just it had my heart just it really did it just had my heart at the end and i the, mm-hmm. the lump in my throat just when she's on the bus um it really got me and uh i just i think it's perfect i just don't know how you could make this movie any better than he made it to me it's mm-hmm. it's perfect and i just maybe it just fantastic. reminded me a little too much of similar situations in my, in my childhood that i do not remember that fondly <laughs> so <Right. laughs> Fortunately, I was never a, you know, hitting a little close a to home girl. to go on with the baseball metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's a good point. I mean, maybe that is, you know, because I w- I've never been in the situation because I'm not a girl. Uh, it, it didn't have that same connection with me in a, in a good or a bad way. One thing that I think is like really cool about it is that, you know, there's like a big discussion in, in, the famous literature of the 20th century, most of which has been written by men that became famous Mm. about like how bad those male authors are generally at writing women. But I think it's really interesting that this movie was largely made by men and yet they managed to have like a very 
sensitive and realistic portrayal of a woman's life. So it is possible. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the writers of the manga, so I wonder if Yuko Tone is, is a girl. She's not on Wikipedia. Yeah, I'm not sure. But either way, I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like they did a really good job. So it looks like the manga is written by a combination of a, a, a man and a woman. Okay. So that's good. Uh, that really comes through. Mm-hmm. Doris, thank you so yeah. much for being on the show, for your time. Thanks for having um, me. It's been yeah. an absolute pleasure. Yes, thank you. Uh, you have You have your own podcast. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Uh, well, we're, uh, we haven't gone live yet at, at the time when we record this one here. Mm. Um, it's called American Graffiti, One Song at a Time. And you will find it this summer on any podcast app. Excellent. Fantastic. And I had the pleasure of being on an episode uh, only, only a few weeks ago. Uh, and it was it was fantastic. I'd never watched that movie before, so you've so we've we've kind of traded, haven't we, Doris? You got me yes. watching that one, and I got you watching this one. Yeah, and it was a good trade off. <laughs> good trade off for both of us. Yeah, exactly. American Graffiti is a great movie. I'd never seen I'm it. I'm excited I, to listen. I don't know how it passed me by for so long because I really loved it. Mm. Uh, you like that one, Ruben? You seen that one? American Graffiti. Yeah, it's a yeah, great movie. Was that movie. not um? What's his name for his first movie? George, George Lucas, Lucas George first second, yeah. second it's movie. Second. Oh, it's a mm-hmm. second yeah. movie. Okay. Though I have not seen the first one. Have you, Doris? Um, you mean THX? I do. Mm. Yes, yes, I've seen it. Any good? I've heard it's pretty good. It is good. It's very, very depressing. Really? Oh. <laughs> yes. wow. I would have thought that with George Lucas. There you go. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Ruben, where can people find uh, your cats on Instagram? <laughs> my cats you can find my cats on instagram at the handle cat dilf 69 cat dilf 69 for uh, all those cat lovers out there um yeah just amazing photos of uh hobbs mostly sometimes calvin although i don't like calvin as much uh but <laughs> calvin, calvin is sitting right here beside me um oh. give him a cuddle it'd be nice to calvin come on give him some love uh <laughs> but yeah that's that's where you can find me Excellent. And uh, Jamie, where can people find uh, your dog on the internet? Oh, they can find my dog. Uh, he probably has his own account, but he didn't share it with me. <laughs> you're not, you're not following. <laughs> yeah, they can see him on my Instagram account, which is just my name, I think. It's jamieK.Anderson. Fantastic. And they can hear you on the airwaves at? At Radio Clash Revival, available on all podcast methods is that right is it available because i thought you had to go on to soundcloud for it no no we're on itunes and spotify and whatever the google wow. one is. are they letting you have all the songs because you, you play a whole the whole songs right we do Yo, sorry. <laughs> uh the only I'll thing that has ever that. taken down one of our episodes is soundcloud took down one of our episodes did they due to a due to a complaint so complaint <laughs> wow Christ. Yep. Yeah, um, but you know, it's when we were, uh, you know, our show started as a radio show when we were grad students at Oxford, and the station that we were on, like Radio Oxide, which is the university student station, 
did not pay a licensing fee for like three years <laughs> and got taken off the air while we were there. So you got kicked just off. continuing that tradition. Brilliant. You got kicked, <laughs> kicked off the airwaves. That's, that's all Pirate radio. Your hosts should at one point or another. <laughs> um, if you want to hear more of me, go and uh, listen to the Mogwai Minute uh, with myself and George. You have heard George on a uh, previous episode, uh, My Neighbor Tutorial. We did a show talking about the movie Gremlins. Uh, and that's about it. So... Uh, once again, thank you, Doris. Thank you, Jamie. And thank you, Ruben. Thank you, listeners. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Thanks.